worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 131st episode of the History Ghost Bump Podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on this episode, we have a special guest joining us. Listener Susie Doomy is joining us, and she's going to share with us some of the history and hauntings behind the Cliffside Inn. This was her suggestion. How are you, Susie? I am wonderful. How are you? We're doing great. I thought we could start off with you telling everybody just a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm an old woman with grandkids, and I'm glad they're grandkids and not still kids because I'm tired. My husband is a doctor. I work with him in his practice. We live in Massachusetts half the time and in Maine the other half of the time. Wow, very cool. It's actually very cool in Maine, isn't it? <laughs> it's more really like very cool today, actually. cold. We'd love to get up there. I've heard that the leaves turning and everything is gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful in the fall. Every place from north of New York City up through the Canadian border is just absolutely beautiful in the fall. Oh, very good. Yeah, so thank goodness our camper has a heater because we do want to come that way, but we don't do cold well. <laughs> yeah, I lived in Dallas for 30 years and people always ask me, don't you miss it? And I say, hell no. <laughs> yeah, if you don't like heat and humidity, I guess you would be glad to be away from Texas. Pretty much, pretty much. Before we talk about the Cliffside Inn, we want to point you in the direction of our website, historyghostbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We had a couple corrections that we wanted to make on our previous episode about Woodland Cemetery. The first one is from Deborah, who is at Woodland Cemetery. Regarding your show, including Woodland Cemetery, I have a couple of corrections to the information you have. Agnes Moorhead is not buried at Woodland Cemetery. She is actually buried at Dayton Memorial Park. Individuals seem to think she's there, I think, due to the amount of prominent Daytonians buried at Woodland. And then you remember that memorial, Denise, Johnny Morehouse's with him and his dog? Yes, I do. Well, we had thought that vandalism had caused his dog to lose its head, but apparently the dog lost its head because a tree fell down. And it looks like a sheer, it looked like a sheer cut to me. So 
it looked like it had been sawed, but apparently that tree was able to do that. They did get it repaired almost immediately, and Deborah says it stands beautifully today. So oh, that's excellent. good news. Yes, very much so. She said, Woodland is a beautiful place to visit, and I've spent a lot of time there. Unfortunately, I've never seen any ghostly activity. I have asked personnel who have also worked at Woodland, and unfortunately, they have no stories to tell. Although nothing can be confirmed, the stories are somewhat charming. Thank goodness no one is ruining the beauty of Woodland with ugly stories. And so I just wrote her back, and I said, that's true. There's no dark tales there. It's just neat little ghost tales. And then, Denise, at the beginning of the episode, we referred to the shooting that we had here in Orlando, Florida. Yes. And I had said that it was the worst mass shooting that we've had in America. In America's history, right? Yes, in American history. And obviously that's wrong because there have been massacres of Native Americans that have happened here and more people were killed during that. And Rita King brought that to our attention. And she pointed out that on December 29th, 1890, near Wounded Knee on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, the 7th Calvary committed the first mass killing of Americans. Almost 300 women, children and old men were gunned down in cold blood in the snow. And then she also wanted to point out when we talked about the life and afterlife of Geronimo, we had discussed President Ted. Roosevelt and that Geronimo had gone to him to ask him to let his family return back to the Southwest. And she said that Teddy Roosevelt once said the only good Indian is a dead Indian. So there's definitely no chance that Geronimo would have gotten a a tender ear there for sure. Jeez, people. And then she just let us know that she absolutely loves, 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 loves our show. So thank you so much, Rita, for pointing that out. And, you know, I thought, I'm going to look into that. And not only was there Wounded Knee, but also remember Sand Creek. This was white settlers versus the Native Americans. And it was led by Commander John M. Chivington. He attacked Black Kettle's village. And even though they were flying an American flag outside of the village, they killed 200 Cheyenne Native Americans, mainly women and children. Yes, so it shows that evil runs deep in lots of people's hearts. And it's just such a sad time when they have to come and do that to other people. And uh, just makes my heart hurt. We also heard from David Robinson. Hey, ladies, great episode about Dayton. As your unofficial aviation guy, I have to tell you Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, is from Ohio, as is John Glenn, the first American to orbit the Earth. I love Dayton and spend all my time at the Air Force Museum. Beautiful sculpted grounds with lots of memorials and all those gorgeous airplanes and rockets inside. Be sure to spend a day there when you go to Dayton. It is to aviation what the Louvre is to art. And we also heard from Gracie Barcombe. Just found your podcast. Love it. I'm only a couple episodes in. So I'm not sure if you've already had this suggestion, but I live in the Florida Keys and I love the Key West and Indian Key ghost stories. Would love to hear your thoughts on Robert the Doll and the ghost of Captain Tony's. I wrote her back, Denise, and let her know that we mentioned Robert the Doll in one of our moments in Oddity, and he also makes an appearance in our History of Dolls. Yeah, the History of Dolls is very creepy. We want to thank a lot of you in the Spooktacular crew for sharing your pictures this last week. We had Joseph White share pictures of the Buxton Inn which we've done an episode on. Amanda Silva went over to the Winchester house and she shared pictures of that as well. And I guess they're going to be doing some candlelight tours in October, everybody. Ooh, very cool. Tammy Burroughs shared her pictures from Woodland Cemetery, which we had asked for. Thanks so much for that. Stephen Pappas and his wife were up hiking near Moses Cone Manor and he posted some pictures of that. And I told him we're looking forward to checking that out ourselves. Absolutely. And Matt Zupka 
shared pictures of Seaside Sanitarium, which is an abandoned building. I guess they're going to be tearing it down shortly, but it was in really good condition, I thought, minus the windows knocked out of it. And I was like, well, I bet it looks really cool inside, Matt. But of course, we don't want him to get arrested. He said, no, we don't want to get arrested. No, not at all. Yes. Thank you all for sharing those pictures. It was really fun to see some of the places we've only seen in, you know, in just pictures on the internet. So it's fun to have listener pictures come through. And we want to thank Jana Lynn for her messages to us. Greatly appreciated those. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Autumn. Hey, Autumn. Joseph. Hi, Joseph. Kat. Hey, Kat. Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Heidi. Hi, Heidi. And Melissa. Hey, Melissa. And Denise, I think that our podcast has one of the best reward programs out there for people who support us. And as we announced on the last episode, we made it even better by if you just donated a dollar, you're going to be a part of the virtual meetups. Well, we did our first one and it went for two hours. We had so much fun. Yes, so it was really a lot of fun. Don't don't bet that all of them will go for two hours. (laughs) I blame Heather for coming in late. Oh, it's Heather's fault. Okay. But it was a lot of fun. So we hope more people will be able to join us on our next virtual meetup. And if you do it from your computer, you can you can post selfies. I'll just say that. Where if you do it from the phone, you can't. So kind of think about where you want to be when you come to the next virtual meetup, because I'd love to see some of your lovely faces. And since we changed up the rewards, I thought we need to have a new bumper to go with that. Several of our male listeners have been kind of partial to the British accented voiceover gal that we have. And so I thought, since they are such fans of hers, I will go see if I can find her again. And the last time we used her was like two years ago. And she's She's gone on holiday. Yes, we could not find her again. But we did find another girl, Tara Murray. She did a fabulous job. And uh, I kind of like it because this one is Irish. It's only fitting since I'm supposed to be the ambassador for that country. Exactly. History Goes Bump is entirely listener supported. Become an executive producer for as little as $1 a month. Get listed on the website and invited to exclusive virtual meetups. For $5 a month, you get that and exclusive bonus content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. For $10 and above a month, you'll get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump or you can support us via PayPal. Click the support the show tab at historygoesbump.com for more information. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to this moment in oddity. In today's moment in oddity is by listener Lisa Nilsson. There is a wooden doll inside the Danish castle Egeskov that apparently helps to keep the castle from sinking into the moat. The doll, which is the size of a small child, can be found in the rafters of the loft of the castle, lying upon the dusty red cushion. The doll has been here since 1554, and no one is allowed to touch it because of the legend attached to the doll. If the doll is moved, it is said the castle will sink into the moat on Christmas Eve. Because of this, the past generations living there would never spend Christmas at Edgeskov, just in case. These days, the resident family just leaves a bowl of rice pudding for him. Plenty of people, including Lisa's family, do something similar where they leave rice pudding for the elves. The guy who manages the exhibitions, Jorgen Johansson, has two stories about the doll. 
The current count's grandmother wanted to know how old the doll was, so she sent it to the National Museum in Copenhagen, hoping that they might be able to figure it out. Within two days, the castle started creaking ominously, and it continued for days. This freaked the grandmother out, and she didn't dare have the doll away from its proper place any longer. She sent someone to pick it up, and as soon as it was back, the creaking stopped. The other story is about a woman who just happened to rest her hand on the entrance and had noticed the nails were unusually cold. She and the manager went to check on the doll, and it turned out that it had been flipped. They rearranged it so it was lying as it usually was, and upon return to the entrance, they found the nails had returned to a normal temperature. No one knows how the legend started or if the threat is real, but nobody is taking any chances, making the wooden doll of Ejikov quite odd. in history. This Day in History is by April Rogers Crick. On this day, June 18, 1928, Amelia Earhart landed safely in Burryport, Wales, becoming the first woman to cross the North Atlantic by airplane and doing it in less than 24 hours. Following Charles Lindbergh's solo flight across the Atlantic in 1927, Amy Phipps Guest expressed an interest in being the first woman to fly or be flown across the Atlantic Ocean. Deciding that the trip was too dangerous for her to undertake, she offered to sponsor the project, suggesting they find a woman who could portray the right image. Amelia Earhart, a Boston social worker, was contacted at work by Captain Hilton H. Rayleigh, and he asked if she would, quote, like to cross the Atlantic. Project coordinators, including book publisher and publicist George P. Putnam, interviewed Amelia and asked her to accompany pilot Wilmer Stoltz and mechanic Lewis Gordon on the flight. She was to be a passenger with the added duty of keeping the flight log. Flying in an orange and gold float-equipped three-engine monoplane, pilot William Stoltz, co-pilot Amelia Earhart, and mechanic Lou Gordon departed from Trepassey Harbor, Newfoundland on June 17th. The trio crossed the North Atlantic in the record time of 20 hours and 49 minutes, landing safely in Burryport, Wales. Since most of the flight was on instruments and Amelia had no training for this type of flying, she did not pilot the aircraft. After landing, she was quoted as saying, Stoltz did all the flying, had to. I was just baggage like a sack of potatoes. Maybe someday I will try it alone. When the trio returned to the United States, they were greeted with a ticker tape parade in New York, followed by a reception with President Calvin Coolidge at the White House. History Goes Bump Podcast. Newport, Rhode Island has been the summer playground for presidents like Eisenhower and Kennedy, and also for the rich, which is evident in the many mansions that dot the seaside town. Some of these mansions date back to the colonial era. The Cliffside Inn is one of the mansions here, and today it serves as a bed and breakfast. The most notable family to live at the Cliffside Inn is the Turner family, and they have an unusual and interesting history. 
Although the Turner family is long gone, it would seem that their spirits have remained with the home that was so much a part of their life. Today we are joined by our listener, Susie Dumay, to get her first-hand account of the Cliffside Inn and some of the spooky experiences she and her friends have had. Well, we're going to be talking about the Cliffside Inn, and you can't talk about that without talking about the Turner family. And one of the members of the Turner family is mother and wife Adele Turner. And there happens to be a hotel up there, or a quote-unquote inn, that has been named for her called the Adele Turner Inn. And I thought it'd be fun to share with the audience, and a little creepy, uh, the fact that you and your husband have stayed there several times and had some experiences there. Yeah, actually, the Adele is one of our favorites. Back in the 80s, a man named Wynn Baker, whose um, probably biggest claim to fame was that he launched a TV personality unknown at the time by the name of Oprah Winfrey. So back in the 80s, he purchased three sister inns in Newport, and the Adele Turner was one of them. We have, like you said, stayed there several times, and there's this beautiful room at the top of the inn that you go outside on the deck and there's a hot tub on the deck and you overlook the harbor. It's just like a dream room, right? So we had been there several times. And one morning, my husband and I woke up and, um, okay, I'm going to try to put this delicately. And we are adults, right? (laughs) We were friendly in the morning. Gotcha. And as soon as we stopped being friendly, (laughs) he looked at me with just the strangest look on his face. And he said, I don't know where we are. And I don't know how we got here. Okay, so like my husband is not a practical joker of any sort. He's very sober, very literal. So I just looked at him and I said, what do you mean you don't know where we are? And he goes, I don't know where we are. And I go, you don't remember we're in Newport? He said, no. And I said, you don't remember driving down here yesterday? He said, no. And so I'm just looking at him and I'm thinking, you know, I didn't see any indication that he might have had a seizure or blacked out or anything. And so I said, you know, this is not funny. And he goes, you're telling me. I go, okay. So this went on for like 30 minutes or so. And after that time, we got, he took a shower, we got dressed, we left the inn. And after a little bit, he was just normal again. And I said to him, I said, like, do you need to go to the doctor? Do you need to go to the hospital? And he says, well, I am a doctor. So no, my professional opinion is I do not need to go. Like, all right. (laughs) Of course, doctors are the worst patients I've heard, but Absolutely. Absolutely. It was an odd thing, but it never happened. Well, it didn't happen again. And a couple months later, we went back to the Adele and we stayed in the same room because that's the room we generally like to stay in. And again, the next morning, he was being friendly. That time he just, he looked at me again. He said, okay, I'm looking out the window and I think we're in Newport, but I don't know how we got here or why we're here. You know, this wasn't funny the last time. Mm-hmm. And he just looks at me like, and I go, okay, so you don't remember that our grandson is supposed to come meet us and go sailing this afternoon? And he goes, no, but I'm excited now. And I, I have a friend who goes by the name of Mercy. So I sent her a text and I said, and I'm real careful what I say to her. I said, do you remember a couple months ago when my husband had that amnesia episode? And she said, yes, I do. And I said, well, it just happened again. And just, those are all, that's all I said to her. And out of the blue, she goes, yeah, there's a spirit there in that house. And it's a young woman. And her name is either Addie or Abby, something like that. I go, okay. She goes, she likes to do this to men. She thinks it's funny. She thinks it's flirting. And I'm like, okay. She goes, what you need to do is tell her, please don't do it again. 
So my husband went in to take a shower. You know, I'm sitting there like a moron. I feel like a moron while I'm sitting there going, okay, so listen, Addie, um, this really scares (laughs) me when it happens. So could you please not do it again? And as again, we left the Adele Turner. We got a couple blocks away. My husband is his normal, usual self. It's never happened since. We've been back. We've stayed in the same room. It's just kind of creepy thing. Yeah, that is one of the most bizarre stories I've heard because when you hear the first part where it happened the one time you're thinking medical like you did. Did he have a seizure? Is he having a stroke? I mean, it's just weird for somebody to be like, I don't remember where I am all of a sudden. It's not like you just forgot where your keys are. Right. It was scary. But to have it happen again, that is really bizarre. But only at the Adele Turner, which was even more bizarre. So he's (laughs) never, ever had another even similar episode any other time, just in that room, the two times. Just that room, the two times. We stayed in other rooms at the uh, inn. Uh, Unfortunately, a few years ago, the owner, uh, one of the owners, the wife passed away. And I felt her the first time that we went back after her death. But I don't feel her there anymore. So the only thing is, is that in no other room, no other part of the house, it was just that particular room. Oh, wow. And then this begs the question, it's one thing to see a ghost, smell a ghost, hear a ghost. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, how in the world did she, it's like she's getting into his brain and blocking his memory. I mean, how does that happen? I don't know. You know, I even asked him because the second time it occurred to me, the Adele Turner is very old. It was built a long time ago as a boarding house for ship captains who came into the harbor. So I thought, maybe there's some lingering person here. And I even asked my husband, I said, do you feel like maybe there's somebody else in your head? And he goes, no. (laughs) Okay. Uh I don't know. That is just really weird. (laughs) I know. It it is weird. I've actually had, I started thinking about this after we started talking about the podcast, thinking, you know, well, I've really never had paranormal experiences in my life. I mean, I've never seen anything. But I have actually had a couple of other ones, and they do happen to be at the sister ends of the Adelter. One of them is the James B. Finch House, which I think is now closed, unfortunately. And the other one is the Cliffside Inn, where the Turner family actually lived. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Now, this was not originally their home. Is that correct? They actually are some of those people that, uh, you know, the upper crust that live in New York or a bigger eastern city. Like they particularly came from Philadelphia. But when it gets hot and sweltering in the summer, they would flock from Philadelphia and New York City to the cooler climes of Newport. So Newport was actually their summer cottage. Okay, gotcha. 
Newport is located in Rhode Island in Newport County. That's 37 miles southeast of Providence and about 74 miles south of Boston to give people an idea of the location. Before Rhode Island was called Rhode Island, it was known as Aquidneck Island. English settlers came there in 1639 with Annie Hutchinson. She was a religious leader who'd been driven out of Boston for her religious beliefs, which challenged Puritanism. When she arrived here, she grouped up with another settler. His name was Roger Williams, and he had also been banished from Massachusetts for religious reasons. Hutchison purchased the island from the Native Americans who lived there, and these early settlers founded a new town on religious freedom, and Newport became the first secular democracy in the New World. Another group split from Hutchinson, led by William Coddington and Nicholas Easton, and they would found Newport in 1639. The idea of religious freedom brought other groups as well. Soon the Quakers and Jews were here. The Quakers dominated political, social, and economic life of Newport into the 18th century. By the 1760s, Newport had become one of the five leading ports in North America. During the American Revolution, it became a hotbed of revolutionary fervor. The British occupied Newport from 1776 to 1779, and more than half of the residents fled the town. The British were eventually driven out with the help of the French. The French began a sojourn in Newport led by Admiral de Tierney and General Rochambeau, which lasted until 1783. They left to march with General Washington to Yorktown. The occupation by the British had done terrible damage to the town economy, and Newport was forced to reinvent itself. Newport was not industrialized like other places, and this gave the town an advantage when it came to attracting summer visitors. They liked the picturesque qualities of the area. Newport became a center for artists, writers, scientists, educators, architects, theologians, and landscape designers. During the Gilded Age, Newport was host to elite families such as the Kings, Griswolds, and the Vanderbilts. I am of the understanding that Gloria Vanderbilt and Anderson Cooper and their family still retain the use of the third floor at the Breakers, which is just an incredible home. It's been, uh, I saw on the Travel Channel once that it was named the most ostentatious, outrageous home in the country. So it's <laughs> oh, wow. just amazing. You just walk down this tree-lined boulevard and there's a mansion here and a mansion across the street and a mansion next door and a mansion over there. And uh, the, the original movie of the great gatsby with robert redford uh-huh. it was and mia farrow it was uh part of it was also filmed in newport at the rose cliff and you can tour that and high society was filmed partially in newport it's really beautiful it's got beaches it's got sailing it's got the newport jazz festival it's got history it's really a beautiful place I'm sure it's got a lighthouse at least one lots of lighthouses It also had pirates, and there is a rumor that Captain Kidd might have left off some of his treasure up here on Block Island, which is the neighbor island to Newport. Oh, wow. The area is very diverse when it comes to ethnicity as well. And it's in this city that the Cliffside Inn was built. The Cliffside was actually built by the former governor of Maryland, and his name was Thomas Swan. It was built in 1876. And it was also his summer home. And he was, uh, it was called Swan Villa then, and he was not a particularly nice man. He uh, was uh, governor of Maryland, and he is noted for having one of the bloodiest, most ruthless, most fraud-filled elections ever. 
He uh, <laughs> bloodiest his, yikes. <laughs> yeah, his agenda was you know putting the white man back in charge, and he even mm. encouraged, he turned his eye and encouraged white fishermen to harass and basically push out African American fishermen in the Maryland area. So he was not a nice man. But so he built the house, and then in uh, the later part of the 1800s, or 18, in 1897, it served for four years as the first site of the St. George's Preparatory School, which is now in a really beautiful castle-looking building over in Middletown. And then after that, uh, in 1907, so it was like six years between the prep school, then in 1907, the Turner family bought the villa and made it at the cliffside. Well, very cool. Tell us a little bit about the Turner family. Well, Andrew Turner was a successful businessman in Philadelphia. He was a cotton broker, and his wife, Adele, was a, she's a Philadelphia socialite. Her antecedent was the engrosser of the Constitution of the United States. So they made, you know, like one of those really nice, successful, you know, money and society marriages. And they only had one daughter, and that was Beatrice, and they didn't have any other children. So when Beatrice was 18, that's when they purchased the cliffside and they started coming to visit every summer. And also that first summer, her father found her out walking down the cliff walk, which is this really beautiful little path that runs around a good portion of, of the Newport area. It runs right on the cliffs, down back behind the mansions. It's really beautiful. But he found her out there, you know, walking with a boy. And he uh, pretty much just yanked her up and took her home and locked her in her room for several weeks. Yikes. Yeah. God, that would be and, like, he was just, they were just walking and he just punishes her that severely? Yeah, there's actually some speculation that there was some inappropriate behavior between the father and the daughter. Uh. He, uh, when she was young, like he didn't let her go out much. And he wrote this poem to her. And I just want to, it's the shortest thing. And I just want to read it because it's really creepy. So it says, when looking at thy form divine, perfect in each curve and line, and gazing at thy silken hair and basking in thy orbits there, a misnomer was in naming thee anything but Venus. Really? That was from a father to a daughter? Yes, that's to a daughter. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, I was about to think he was overly protective. Now I'm thinking he was jealous, and that is yeah, creepy. creepy. <laughs> Very creepy. Also, she had enrolled in an art academy in Philadelphia, and when the father found out that she would be studying nude models for drawing, he just summarily yanked her out of the academy and told her that if she wanted to be an artist, then she should draw her family or herself, and that was it. Wow. So we have him basically putting the kibosh on having any kind of romantic relationship and now any kind of creative avenue. Uh, yes, exactly. So she took him at his word and she started drawing basically herself. In 1913, he passed away. And here's another creepy thing. We find it real creepy today, but she had his embalmed body propped up in the parlor for like a couple weeks while she painted a death portrait of him. Yikes. Okay, that's yikes now, but that was pretty common back then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So it's not all that, but it's just real weird to us now. Well, I don't know. Two weeks seems a bit long. At least he was embalmed. <laughs> think, well, she didn't get to draw too much color, outside right? of herself. So, you know, it took her a while to get the proportions right since she didn't get the practice. Right, I, exactly. I so. so when they, he had gone back to Philadelphia at the end of the summer and passed away. When they found him... 
he had written a poem talking about how he dreamed he lived in a house of black with his two sweethearts. So what they did is that Beatrice and her mother painted their house black. And it remained that way from 1913 until 1948 when she passed away. Now, was this just on the outside or did they do the interior that way as well? Just the outside. Okay. That's a little weird, too. I mean, to see a black house. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a funny, it's an odd looking picture. It you know, kind of looks like the Munster house when you see it, but it's a beautiful house. And uh, Well, I was just, it makes you wonder what made him want it to be a black house. What made him think that? I don't know. He said he had a dream. I, I don't know. He wrote the poem and had the dream. Well, his brain was a little bit, a lot corrupt. And so it probably was just all the black, oozy grossness coming out of it. <laughs> That's what I'm, you're right. <laughs> well, you know, you had mentioned in the email, I think something about that Governor Swan, your friend had wondered about some of the practices that he'd been doing in the home and that maybe some of them were kind of into the dark arts or something. Exactly. So my friend, back when uh, we first started going there, they asked the people that were running it at the time, asked her to come in and just kind of walk around and you know see what she could tell them. So she went up into a tower room and she said that someone had had a baby in that room. And then she went down into the basement where they had the washer and dryer and they could never keep the washer and dryer working. Who knows why? So my friend went down there and there's also a furnace down there and she went to the furnace. And then she just backed away real quick. And she said, there's this furnace is awful. It's just bad things happened in this furnace. A bad person lived here. And she also told me that she felt that the body of a baby had been disposed of in that furnace. Mm. And now the new owner that has it now, they close that furnace off and they don't have any more trouble down there. So it makes a little bit of validation there for your friend. A little bit. <laughs> so she's she's got some validation going on. I mean, she's not always right, but she's right enough that if she were to call you, you'd go, hmm, maybe I'll ponder that action over real quick. Yeah, I just thought I would bring that up because since he had mentioned he saw the house as being black, it, uh-huh. it just made me kind of think back to that, that maybe it wasn't a literal black color, but that the house gave him a black or dark feeling and maybe because of the energy that was there. That's a good thought. I actually did not come to that one. That's really, that's wicked smart, as they would say here. (laughs) Wicked smart. That's wicked awesome, Diane. It's not smart. It's smart. Smart. That's right. You don't have any R's unless you have a a word ending in an A, and then you just take all those lost R's and stick them back at the end. Exactly. They have ideas. Exactly. (laughs) Beatrice. Her mother passes away in 1940, so she lives there with her mother. And it's very much like a, in my mind, it's very much like a whatever happened to baby Jane kind of thing. Because the mother is dependent on Beatrice to help her do most everything, get along in life, you know, take care of the household chores, the banking and all of this and all that. And at the same time, she's berating her, telling her the reason she's not out in the world is she's not capable of being out in the world on her own. So Mm. I'm, I'm guessing and that's a control thing, probably. So they got this information out of some, she kept a diary all her life and they were unable to find most of them. But these are the kind of things that she wrote in the few diaries that they were able to find. You just kind of get the feeling that there are two crazy women living in a black house and they lived there from 1913 until 1940 when Adele Turner died. They never changed their clothing from the Victorian style. 
Beatrice wore black Victorian clothing all the time, even when she was out mowing the lawn. Wow. That's going through the 20s when she would have been still a very young, you know, pretty young woman into the 30s and the 40s. And and until she passed, she wore Victorian clothing. You can only imagine what the neighbors were saying. (laughs) You know, there's always that one house dipping into the conversations around you. There's always that one house. Yeah, right? So, you know, first off, when she painted the house black, they knew she was over the edge to start with, right? And then she never changed. So then Beatrice herself passes away in 1948. She has had no love life. She has had no children. She left her house to no one, basically. And when they went in after her death, they found out that she, they found out what she'd been doing all those years. She had actually been painting. They found over 3,000 portraits and paintings in that house. Wow. That's a lot of work. Well over a thousand of them. Most of them were of Beatrice or Beatrice and her mother. It's a very interesting composition. You'll always see Beatrice in the forefront looking forward, but then there's always her mother behind her, generally turned off to the side. I'm thinking Freud would have a field day with that. I'm thinking the same thing. Psychiatrists are probably... Yeah, just looking at that going, she's saying something with this, especially to have that many compositions that way. Well, with the mother looking away, it could be that the mother not noticing since we think things might have been going on with the father. That would make total sense to me that the mother was always looking away in the in the self-portraits because she didn't notice when she was probably going through a lot of abuse from her dad. Sounds like. That makes good sense, too. Wow, you're really insightful. I love this. So when Beatrice died and they went in and they found all the portraits, nobody wanted them. So they actually carted a huge number of them off to the city dump and burned them. Whoa. Yeah. It's like, wow. That was just incredible. So then later on, there was another cleaning out of the house, and they actually dumped a whole bunch of them on the side of the street. And some men picked them up and took them home. And that's why there are actually some still surviving, because people just picked them up off the street corner and took them home. I'm not really sure what all went on with the house between the 1948 and the time frame that Mr. Baker bought the houses. I, I really wasn't able to find out a whole bunch of information about that. I think it sat empty for a long time, but I'm not, I think it was still privately owned by the time uh, Mr. Baker found them. So when Mr. Baker came in, uh, someone alluded to that he was just taken by the portraits of Adele. Don't ask me why. Have you seen the portraits yourself? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So when I started going to the, I'm trying to think what year it was, 2000, 2009, I think. When I started going there, uh, Mr. Baker's owned them. And the uh, cliffside particularly had many, many portraits of hers in there. A lot of them were reproductions. Some of them were originals. And there were portraits of her and her mother. There were a few select... Oh, by the time Beatrice passed away, apparently after her mother died, she kind of cast off some of her shackles and she started drawing herself in the nude. So there was one of those also on the walls of the cliffside. And there were a couple, a couple others, but, but the greatest preponderance were portraits of Beatrice. It would be one thing. She doesn't get to have a love life. Really, obviously, she doesn't have a social life. Right. And all she's doing is painting the same thing over and over again. It would almost make you think there was a bit of madness there. 
it might, especially since that one thing was her over and over and over, just herself. Yeah, I mean, I think that would drive me nuts. Well, she did occasionally paint other things. There were a couple of children that she somehow had some sort of little passing acquaintance with, and she painted portraits of them as little remembrances. And then when she was dying of cancer in the hospital, there was a nurse there that she painted a portrait of the nurse for herself. She did do a few, you know, some other things, but, but the greatest preponderance was her and her mother. It's kind of sad. She obviously had a talent about her and didn't really get to use it and share it with people. Yes, she did. She had some talent. She, it, the portraits are quite lovely. When I took my friend there the first time to see the place, as we're driving away, and I didn't know at the time that Beatrice wore Victorian clothing until her death, my friend goes, hey, do you see that woman on top of the house? And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> she goes, yeah, there's a woman up there in Victorian clothing on the widow's walk. Look. And I'm like, yeah, I don't see that. <laughs> so uh, we're pretty sure that Beatrice is actually still there. I'm not really sure why she would be at the cliffside other than that's where she died. And maybe maybe after her mother died, it's where she was happy. Who knows? So when the new owners bought it in 2010, they did an extensive renovation. It was quite beautiful. What they did, though, is they closed it on November 1st. And on Halloween, the day before November 1st, I went in, uh, my husband and I, I had stayed the night. I went in, I was talking to the innkeeper and she was just really freaked out. And I go, hey, you know, what's up? And she goes, Beatrice is really mad today. And I go, really, what happened? She goes, so at night in these bed and breakfasts, they close all of the empty rooms because yeah, they didn't want you throwing a keg party in a room you're not paying for. Exactly. So they, she locks all the rooms at night. And no one was staying in Beatrice's room. When she came in in the morning, every curtain was ripped off the rod in that room. Wow. I mean, how do you explain that when the room is locked? You don't. <laughs> she, you know, Beatrice is not happy. Yeah. So they closed the inn for probably a good six or seven months. And when they reopened it, my husband and I went back and it was beautiful. They've done a wonderful job, but they changed a few things. So I told my girl, I, my friend, my psychic friend, I uh, went up and I was just texting her. And I said, again, very careful not to feed anything, you know, not to taint anything. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you would really like what the new owners have done with the place. And she says back to me, yes, I know Beatrice likes most of what they've done. However, she would like more flowers again. And she would like the picture of her mother and her that was in the parlor put back there. Well, when I first started going there, when we first started going there, before the new owners took it, it was full of these old, musty, dusty silk flower arrangements that were really popular in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Well, they took all of those out and they put in just a few really nice live arrangements. Now, how did my friend know that? Exactly. I mean, there's, there's no way she would know that. No, she didn't. So, and then... I went down and I was talking to the new owner's wife and I said to her, because she knew about my friend and she knew what my friend had said about the house and everything. And I said to her, my friend says Beatrice wants more flowers. And, and she kind of laughed. And I said, and she also said that Beatrice wants that picture put back in here in the parlor. And the husband walked in and he said, but we didn't take the picture down. It's right there. See? And the wife looked at him and she goes, no, that picture was not in here. That's a different picture. The other picture's in storage. Yeah, and there's no way your friend would know that either. Or even to pick those things out to say that that's something that the ghost is not happy about. Right. Yeah, I didn't even know it was a different picture. Sure. 
So, and if you just, think, you know, most of the pictures featured her and her mom, it's like, well, which one would that be? You know, out of all the how yeah, many? <laughs> exactly, most of them. But I was really surprised when when Nancy said, "No, that's not the same picture. It's a totally different picture." So, wow, it, it was real surprising. So, my friend, let me tell you about my friend real quick. She's actually a descendant, which you'll find a lot of these people up here. She is an actual descendant of the second woman executed as a witch in Salem. Oh, wow. So that one might have been a righteous execution, I'm just saying. (laughs) She might have had a little bit of the witchiness in her. (laughs) It runs in their family. And the odd thing is someone told her years ago, when you turn 50, your power is going to go boom, boom. And when she turned 50, it started becoming really strong, really frequent. Just as an example, you know, it's hard to quantify how right she can be and how wrong she can be. Right now, I have a child that is going through some serious health problems. And of course, I'm really, really worried about this. And my friend just looks at me one day and we're driving down the road and she's asking about my son. And she just looks at me. She goes, you're going to think I'm crazy. She said, but I just have to ask you, who is dirt? And I just, all the hair on my body, you know that. And I just like, oh my gosh. When my father was born, he would never tell anybody this, by the way, because he absolutely hated it. When he was born, his mother wanted his middle name to be Dart, but they misspelled it with an E on his birth certificate. Oh, so it was Dirt. Oh, how in the world would you ever get that? Much less it's a misspelling, because when you say Dirt, I'm thinking D-I-R-T. Exactly. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is just, she told me, she said, your son's going to have a rough time, but he's going to be okay. So we are hanging on to that. It's just, and she sees things. She called me one Sunday and she said, okay, so listen, I didn't want to call you and tell you this. You know, I don't tell people bad things. She goes, I just got to tell you, I can't get it out of my head. Hold tight to your granddaughter. I see her running in front of a car. She did not know that just two hours before that, we had taken them to a museum. And as we were leaving, that little rotten kid ran right out in front of a car and was so close to being hit by that car. Wow. She has seen my father at my house. She just one day starts looking way off in the distance. She goes, so who's the old guy? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> she goes, he's tall, he's gray, little stoop shoulder. And I go, oh, crap, that's my dad. It's some weird stuff going on with her. That so, must be interesting to have a friend like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, She's okay, you only get to come right, over once, once a week or once a month. <laughs> She's right enough that uh, last year my son was in New York on business and she calls me in the middle in the evening and she goes, okay, listen, you know, I don't do this again. She says, tell your son to be so careful on the streets of New York. She says, I see yellow. I see a yellow car. She says, tell him to be careful. Tell him just look both ways three times. And I said, well, is my daughter with him by any chance? She goes, yes, she's cradling him. And I hear her screaming like her soul is being ripped out. And so I thought about it for a little while and I called my son and I said, you know, take this how you will, but this is what Mercy says. My son also has some talents. He can see auras and he knows some things. So he believes in her enough that he refused to go out to dinner, refused to go out to the theater with their tickets they had already purchased, and he got his next bus home the next day. So it, it's, it's, it's right enough that we do think about it. We don't just go poo-poo. So now your friend had seen what, who she believed to be Beatrice. Has anybody else seen her or hanging around? 
I don't think anybody else, to my knowledge, has actually seen her. But my friend did say she saw her. She saw a woman in Victorian clothing. I just don't know if it was Beatrice or the mother, but nobody's mentioned anything about the mother still being there. And I just want to ask you something real quick. Is is your husband or a male in the background there? Yes, he walked in. He's okay. talking. Okay. okay. I just wanted to make sure we weren't getting some weird <laughs> something else <laughs> no, going on. Him. Okay. <laughs> now, Good. have they ever figured out who the baby might have been that was incinerated in the furnace? They haven't. But, you know, this is my theory. I'm wondering if that boy... Because we've all been in love and we've all, you know, had people that thought we shouldn't, you know, do this or see that person. I'm wondering if the young man that she was walking with, if she didn't do a little more than walk. That could be. Back in that day and time, that was just simply not done. You did not have an illegitimate child. And to have such a an overbearing father as she had, if something like that happened, I could see them taking care of it quiet way. And I think my theory was a little bit darker. I was wondering if it uh might have been her father's baby. Oh! Yeah, I was about to go there too, wondering if that's what I... Kind of just from what you've said, it has not only just the the emotional and mental abuse going on, but there's definite signs of possible sexual abuse going on as well for that girl. That's very possible. I mean, he did keep her... I mean, she was pretty much a virtual recluse in in his lifetime after he found her out on the street, so... Now, have the owners noticed anything weird, like, uh, you know, stuff being moved around? Have they had guests complain? Uh, Not the new owners that I know of. We haven't been back too many times since they took it over. It's just we've just been real busy. But the last thing that I heard was when Beatrice tore the curtains down... And when the innkeeper was going back to pick them up and put them, hang them back up, somebody was in the kitchen fiddling with the stove, which, you know, she was the only person there. There was no one in the house that night. Yes. Let me ask this. During the restoration, is that when they walled up the furnace downstairs? Yes, I believe it is. So the curtain thing would have happened before they had walled that up. Yes. It and- ha- right. It happened right after they bought it and were going to close for renovation. And your friend, when she saw Beatrice up on the widow's walk, was this before they boarded that up as well? Yes. So it would seem that once they boarded that up or blocked it in or whatever, that maybe that took care of whatever was causing the haunting. Well, no, because when I talked to her about the flowers and the portrait, Mm. that was was after after that time. Yeah, gotcha. So Beatrice is still there, but... I don't know about the dark stuff. Gotcha. That she doesn't get any um, signs of that anymore. So it's possible. Wow. It sounds like a really fabulous place. Another thing that I think may be a haunting, they do ghost tours, of course, what old town doesn't up here. Another incident ripe for haunting is the USS Bennington was in the Narragansett Harbor some years ago, and they had a, a, like a boiler room explosion and the, the, first deck caught on fire and they lost 103 soul, uh, sailors there. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. And then you have Fort Adams, which was one of the military outposts for the Revolutionary War. There's just so much history. 
We're definitely going to have to make it up there. I know. You got me just going right? nuts over we're, that. We're like drooling. <laughs> it's like, well, wow. and the beaches are beautiful and they have the rocky beaches and they have the sandy beaches like you do in Florida. But, you know, the rocky beaches are just that's its own kind of beauty. Yeah, we know? kind just, of experienced that when we were up in uh, Cape Cod and it was I was like, oh, wow, this is weird to be on beaches that aren't sand. <laughs> yes. The nice thing about Newport, Cape Cod is I've never been there, so I don't know. But I hear it's nice. But it's really, really busy and crowded. Mm-hmm. And Newport is not nearly as busy and crowded. Very cool. They need to hire you as part of their tourism <laughs> department or something. Well, I want to tell you about this other inn real quick. The okay. third sister, the James B. Finch. Like I said, that one I think is no longer in business. But when my friend and I stayed there, Sarah, let me tell you this. So I told the new owner, I was making my reservation. I said, so he was a young guy with a wife and they're expecting their first baby. And I said, so you know, your house is haunted, right? And he goes, yep. <laughs> <laughs> he said, we, we hear the two little girls playing up in the library all the time, playing ball. I'm okay. So, you know, so you're not scared. He goes, not at all. He said, and I also had a guest that slept in the same room where my husband and I spent our wedding night. He said the guy was there by himself and somebody just came in and sat on his bed with him and he turned over and no one was there. And he just said, if you don't mind, would you leave so I can sleep? And they did. Now, the, the weird thing that I actually experienced there is that my psycho, a psychic friend and I were there again and uh, she was downstairs talking to the innkeeper. So I went upstairs to the ladies room in our room and as you're sitting there, on the, okay, the toilet. I'm looking across the room and there's a little nightstand there and it's got the two little water tumblers turned upside down on the little paper doilies. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yes. So I'm looking at those two little water tumblers and one of them, only one, is moved halfway off its doily from where it was last night and it's filled with condensation. Huh. Neither of us had taken our baths or showers yet. And she, I don't even think she had even used that bathroom that morning. So what I don't understand is, number one, why is only one of them moved? And number two, why does only one of them have condensation? And why is it on the inside of the glass and not the outside? And it's face, it's down, right? Yes, it's face down. Mm. I even asked my friend, I said, I know you would never do this. Did you drink out of that glass and turn it back on the doily? And she go, well, of course not. They would think it was clean and somebody else would use it. And I go, that's what I thought. And so I said, she, she just looks at me. She goes, you know, they're going to convince you they're here whether you want to believe it or not, right? <laughs> as long as they so, don't start throwing the glass at you, you're okay, I guess. They're doing a good job. She did tell me that in the front of the James Finch house is this big, beautiful old tree. And she did tell me that she saw... And and knew, I don't know how she knows these things, but that she saw that a young servant girl in that house had become pregnant by a man in that house and she hung herself in the tree. Oh, wow. I haven't been able to confirm that because, again, those are the kind of things that nobody talked about. No. It didn't get in the newspaper back then. No. And I think you'd mentioned the owner had heard a couple of girls or something. Yeah, the spirits of two little girls that play up, they have a suite that's really cool because you access it through a hidden staircase. And so, but up in that suite, it's like people hear the sound of like two little girls giggling and playing and rolling a ball across the floor. Wow, that's weird. It is different. 
<laughs> I didn't hear it, and I'm probably really glad I didn't. Yeah, I wouldn't want to well, hear that. It's weird that two little girls would be in a room that is only accessed by a secret staircase, almost like they were hidden away in the attic or something. Maybe so. I don't think it was always a hidden staircase. Maybe. Oh, okay. I don't know, but... It's uh, it's it was just the third floor of the house, I guess. Oh, okay. But now it's a hidden staircase. Well, Susie, you have been a positive delight. We have <laughs> really enjoyed having you on the show with us. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's great. And such, it was a great suggestion and a fascinating story. We want to thank you for suggesting it to us and sharing your knowledge about that. Thank also, you very much. I enjoyed it. It was a pleasure to talk with you. We'll be praying for your son, and we would encourage the listeners for you guys, whatever you happen to believe, to send out your positive thoughts in that direction and hopefully get that taken care of. Well, we would certainly be grateful for all of that. And we are very thankful to you for being an executive producer of the show. Well, thank you. I love the show. You guys keep me company on my trips to Maine all the time. Oh, good. Let's, Let's see, Diane, you have been to Maine. We've been Look going to that. Maine. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, you have a fabulous rest of your evening. All right, guys, take care. <laughs> All, All right, right. thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Does Beatrice Turner and her parents still hang out at their summer home in the afterlife? Is the Cliffside Inn haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, it sounds like a beautiful place to check out. And now we have Rhode Island on our list, Newport. We were actually pretty close to there when we were in Boston. So now I'm bummed that we didn't go ahead and make the jaunt up there to see all those historic mansions. Didn't a couple people tell us to go there and we're like, eh, no, we have enough to see here. Yeah, I think they did. (laughs) Our next episode is going to feature the Occidental Hotel in Wyoming. And that is no Occident. (laughs) Thank you for that, Denise. You're very welcome. Do have a couple of reviews to share with everybody. We have a five-star review from Lemon Tree 2.0. Love this great show. You two are great together and I truly enjoy your show. Thanks. And then we got another review from the UK. This is from Lanny Longlegs. Five star. So fun, spooky, and great hosts. Please give the audio a few episodes. Don't give up. The audio gets much better in episode three. Subscribe and join the Facebook and newsletter too. Diane and Denise are the loveliest couple and tell these stories so well. The history is so interesting. The stories are spooky, but it can be so fun too. The hosts and the group members also really care about you as a listener and get you involved and work so hard on this. It's a great listen, and I'm absolutely loving the podcast and the hosts. I'm absolutely addicted, well worth subscribing, and so more-ish. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us on this one. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Jill Phoenix, and thank you to Diana Mishnick for your one-time donation. Be sociable, drop the chain rattling, neck biting and shape shifting and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes... One society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettering Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bumble. Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13. Rebuilding Society 
one podcast at a time.